Hey, welcome to the latest Miami Sports Pod. A little summer edition, Will Manso, Clay Ferraro, as we look ahead to Dolphins training camp in a little over a month. The Dolphins wrapped up all their mini camps in Clay. Uh, there are rarely a lot of storylines in these camps other than watching rookie players, young guys, newcomers, you know, just see how things are going with the, with the team. But, boy, it was a busy week in Davey. Last time we can say that, by the way, with the new facility coming. But it was a busy week with all the talk about Tua and, you know, the five interceptions that he bounces back and Xavier and Howard. Let's start with Tua. Your observations on Tua. I know you did a story on the day after for Local 10. I mean, was this – too much made of him struggling in camp in the five interception day in the rain yes yes <laughs> i even think that, i even think the thought that he bounced back the next day is kind of silly because i i think it it it, uh, it it ignores context for what happened on the first day of mini camp and you know i i i use the analogy and, and it's not even really an analogy it's just fact about what practices are supposed to be about but i compared it to when I worked in Fort Myers, we covered spring training uh, a lot. And, you know, that was the big thing in, in Fort Myers because the Red Sox and the Twins trained there. And I remember, I think it was Josh Beckett, but I'm not, I'm not 100%, but it was a Red Sox pitcher who was their ace, and he got absolutely rocked in spring training a couple of times. And I remember Boston Media making a big deal out of it. Come to find out that he was working on a new pitch, and, and I want to say it was a slider – um, whatever it was, or a different grip. And, and it was a pitch that, that clearly he didn't end up using because he got hammered and, and couldn't get the right grip. But that's what spring training baseball is about, especially for pitchers. It's what are you going to work on? How are you going to get better? Why do you, you want to try to improve during practice? And you know, I feel like Alan Iverson here, we're talking about practice. But, you know, I, I think what we found out after that practice session was it was geared exclusively for quarterbacks to throw the ball into tight windows. And, and Will, I think the thing that, that made me laugh more than anything is the fact that we spent the last year criticizing Tua because he wasn't aggressive enough. And you have one practice where they gear everything towards him being overly aggressive and let's see what we can do with this so that he gets comfortable with being aggressive. And then we overreact about that. I, the whole thing was, was just crazy to me. Yeah, I agree. And look, I, I can't, I understand there are some people that say, well, how do you minimize, you know, five interceptions? That can't be, that can't, no, look, no one's minimizing saying you don't want to throw interceptions. I get it. But Tua himself said it the next day, Brian Flores and vouch for it. Actually, Tua said it that same day, Brian Flores and vouch for it the next day. This is where you learn and you make mistakes because out on the field in the game, you can't. You mentioned the Josh Beckett example. Pitchers use spring training all the time. It's a great example. You hear it all the time, trying a new pitch, a new grip, a new style, anything like that. You never do that in a real game. But in practice, in spring games, in practice-type settings, I mean, that's what it's for. So I can't sit here and say, I don't understand why it was a story. Because look, we understand, especially with social media, you know, five interceptions, it gets out there. All of a sudden, people are analyzing on all the talk shows. People are analyzing on all the, the debate shows. But when you hear the reasoning behind it, you know, it, it, given especially since it was in the rain, I didn't make too much of it as you did. But it is funny to me that even now, a week after, you know, a few days, as we tape this almost a week after, and as the offseason now, it gets a lull before training camp, there's still people that are concerned with Tua because of that. 
And I mean, come on, if, if you're going to be concerned with Tua about anything, you're sure you can point to things he struggled with last year, things he needs to learn. You're curious if he really has that, that ability to learn from it and bounce back. But one practice where he's trying new things was ridiculous. So I, the funny thing is that, Clay, you know the way this is. He, there's going to be a game this year where it's raining, and the announcer's going to be like, Let's go back to June when, you know, Tua Tagovailoa threw five interceptions in training camp, and it was the story, and they're going to be – and that's where he learned how to throw in the rain. And, you know, it's just – I mean, it's, it really isn't that, that serious, you know. And if it's not serious to Brian Flores, who's serious about everything, then, then I'm not too concerned about it. I'll tell you what Brian Flores is serious about, though. And I found this to be the storyline of this final mini camp. So Brian Flores was very honest and open about the situation with Xavier Howard. Yeah. He straight yeah. up came out and said, this is a unique situation. We've never had this before. We've never seen this before. A guy renegotiating one year into a deal and not showing up at these camps, mandatory camps. Is there something more here? Should they be concerned? Should we be concerned that Xavier Howard's going to hold out uh, come training camp in a little over a month? I'm not concerned yet. I, I mean, is it potentially pointing in that direction? Yeah. Um and, you know, I understand where Xavier Howard is coming from in that, you know, he, he looks across from, from where he's playing and he sees a cornerback who, frankly, did not play as well as he did last year and is getting paid more than he is. So you can understand from that perspective. And he's coming off an, an incredible year. And, you know, so there, there are reasons why you can look at this and say, okay, I get it. And yet I think Brian Flores's point is, hey, man, this extension was done 2019, summer of 2019. So, I mean, he, he played two years with it. And his, his point, I, I thought it was interesting because, it, you know, I think we, we've come to kind of expect almost from Brian Flores a bit of what we, we see in here from Bill Belichick, where you get nothing. And what I found with, with Flores over the last, I, I'd say, I guess let's just say the last few weeks. So let's go back to the draft. It's been refreshing how open he's been about a lot of things. Yeah. And, and I feel like he's, he's kind of getting a little bit more comfortable with what, he's, what he feels comfortable with telling us in the media. Um, and, you know, you see him jabbing with some of the reporters and things like that. You know, so you can tell he's getting more comfortable in who he is as a head coach. And so with all that said, I found it fascinating the point about the market changes every year and that, you know, when somebody's contract comes up matters. And, you know, there are certain things. It's not just that we're paying Byron Jones more because we think he's better than you are. He didn't use those words specifically, but it's the fact that he was a free agent. He was on another team. Xavier Howard was already a member of the Dolphins. He had the extension done. He didn't have to hit free agency. It's part of this give and take when you sign an extension that you are giving up your you're not betting on yourself. You are taking that security right now. And, and so I think what Flores is, without him saying it, I think his point was that, you know, we gave Xavier Howard this extension in lieu of him going through some years and risking injury. That's the give and the take with this thing, that you're paying him and giving him the security with the idea that, hey, maybe on the back end of that, maybe he's not getting paid up to quite the level of the payment because he's he's getting that security earlier. And so I, I thought it was fascinating that he was willing to kind of uh, get into the, the details of that a bit. 
Yeah, I thought so. And you look, when Flo tells you something, it's for a reason. I can't imagine behind the scenes they're happy, nor should they yeah. be. And I'm always a pro the player kind of guy. You know, I always believe that the players, and, I, and in this case, I, I sort of do, but I want to say this first before I get into it. I usually side with the players. I do. Because I do feel that players have less control than a team. A team can cut you, no, you know, depending on what the guaranteed money is. And we see it all the time in sports. The loyalty factor is very low. You know, you're going to have yep. teams that just move on from guys when they feel like they need to. You mentioned Bobelichick. I mean, it happens everywhere. I do think it, it is accurate in Flores' case to say unique because Xavier went out and he got the huge deal, right? And then Byron Jones comes in. But when you look at Xavier, he, there was nothing to prove for Xavier Howard. We know he's a, one of the top corners in the game, which is why he's getting paid that way. But a lot of his success last year was a combination of he is one of the top corners in the game, and now he's attached with another one of the top corners in the game, and you have to throw at somebody. And yeah. teams took shots at Xavier and went away from Byron Jones. He took advantage of it, as he should, as one of the better corners in the league and a high-priced player. To then use that as a renegotiation is a little bizarre for an organization. And I get it. At the same time, I always tell players the same, man, go get your money. When you're at your peak, because here's the thing, a few years Xavier Howard's not going to be the Xavier Howard. He's going to yeah. be at the diminished and at the end of a career, you know, and then that money's not going to be there. So you can't sit there and go, well, wait a minute, four years ago I was the best corner in the league and you didn't want to give me this, now give it to me now. Not the way it works. I get it. So it's a tough spot for a team. I just don't know where the fix is. Because he's got a contract. It's a big contract. He's a key player on this team. You don't want that headache. Now, the ramifications of it with, you know, redoing it, and it's not really, it's not like you don't rip up the contract and do a new one. But, I mean, any kind of additions or things you shuffle around, I'm not a salary cap expert, nor will I ever claim to be one. But I do know that there's always ways to find a resolution. I think this gets resolved, and I do think it gets resolved with, with Xavier Howard getting more money. I also wonder, though, if this will linger in the camp. I don't know if that resolution comes prior to the Dolphins reporting. I guess what I'm trying to say, Clay, is I think Xavier Howard's going to miss time at training camp. I, I could see it. I could see it. And, and that's where you start to get a little concerned. And it's, it's not even just concerned about, oh, is he going you know, to sit out the entire season? Is he going to sit out games? The, the thing that always concerns me when someone sits out any, any time in, in training camp is, Okay, when they come back, what are they going to look like? You know, and and not not I'm not talking about like are they going to be good? Are they not going to be good? It's are they soft tissue injuries? I mean, how often do you see players hold out? Then they go out there and they're so used to going full speed and and their their body isn't quite ready. And you see hamstring pulls. You see the type of stuff that can linger into the season. So. To me, Will, as we sit here right now, that's why I'm not quite ready to get concerned yet because I I think there's a long time between now and when it would really matter. And yet, if we get to the third preseason game and this thing isn't done and and then you're looking at a best-case scenario is Xavier Howard agrees to come back, but then he goes out there and he tries to go full speed, then – you know, you could be risking not having Xavier and Howard either not playing at all or not playing fully healthy for, for a decent portion of the season. So, you know, those are the things that concern me more. Again, I, it wouldn't surprise me if this stretched into camp a little bit, but I have a hard time seeing Xavier and Howard in the prime of his career sit out time. I, I'm with you. I think there's a resolution that they'll hit. 
My guess is it'll be in the form of, of maybe uh, moving up some guaranteed money. Um, you know, something that, something that would, would, you know, I, I, it, both sides could kind of say they won. And, and I think that's, that's probably where this thing ultimately ends up going. And then Xavier and Howard could feel like, Hey, all right, I, I took my stance and I did the best I could and I can come back. But um, you know, I, I think if you're a Dolphins fan, you just hope the resolution comes sooner rather than later because the ramifications aren't just whether or not he's on the field. It's, you know, is he going to be able to make it through a full season healthy? And, and look, I, I think part of the problem with Xavier and Howard in general is, is the health has been an issue before, specifically knee, knee stuff. So, you know, that's, to me, that's the, the most important reason why he has to get back. He's not going to forget how to play cornerback. Oh, it's, no, it's, yeah. That's, it's yeah. Vital yeah. For them. He is, he, and I think they are, he's aware of that, obviously. And I think the Dolphins are aware of that too. They, they need him. They do. They just need him. They need him. That one-two punch with Byron Jones makes them so good. And going out and trying to adjust the pass rush with Jalen Phillips and some of the things they did in the offseason, they can't have any kind of hiccups or issues. And as you mentioned, the injury concern is more the concern than, look, if he's fine and he comes to camp and he reports or reports a little late, Saban Howard's going to be a stud. That's just what he is. If there's any kind of setback like that, that's when it lingers into the season. It can literally cost you opportunities and wins because the, the, all of a sudden you're moving parts around and trying to fill in. It, to me, I would say on a 1 to 10 scale, my concern level is like 5. Yeah, five. I, that's where I'm at. Yep, you know, yep. I am a little concerned. I don't want to neglect it and say it's not a big deal. I know Brian Flores likely feels the same way, but I know behind the scenes, this organization, Flores, Chris Greer, they're trying to figure this out because training camp is around the corner and uh, they need to. All right, so as we move on, we talk to, we talk Xavier Howard. Those were kind of the big storylines of the week. Uh, anything else as we lead into training camp, what are the storylines, you know, that you will look to? And that I think, you know, if we've gotten anything answered, it, it, it's certainly not concrete at the running back position. And I think everybody talked about it in the offseason. Oh, the running back, you didn't draft one, you didn't sign one. You know, all these question marks about you, the, the, the back that you need. As time goes on, it's clear that the Dolphins feel pretty comfortable with Miles Gaskin, feel pretty comfortable with Malcolm Brown. They feel pretty comfortable with the guys they have right now. Are you? Yes. Uh, comfortable in that I think they can – they can manufacture a running game. Um, and, and I think what, what I think they're doing is in the modern NFL, is it nice to have a Derrick Henry or, or, you know, an Alvin Kamara, uh, a Christian McCaffrey? Is it nice to have a back like that? Absolutely. You know, if, if you, if you could do that, you'd love to do that. And yet I think, you know, you can manufacture a running game by throwing the ball around the field and forcing teams to play fewer guys at the line of scrimmage. Mm -hmm. And so I, I think what they did in the off season, and I'm really curious to see how this plays out once they're playing a different team, they added so much speed. And, and I, I think if Tua is able to see separation, and I, I think that with the receivers that he has now, I think he's going to be able to have receivers who create that separation. You're going to force defenses to play back. You're not going to be able to play as many guys at the line of scrimmage and, and dare to it each down the field because he has guys who can actually get open now. Um, you know, and, and I think that does two things. I think, number one, it does open up some lanes for running backs. And, and I think Brown and, and Gaskin are nice compliments to one another. But I think it also opens up some stuff for, for Mike Gesicki. I think it opens up some stuff for, for Devontae. Park. So it's, it's not just that I'm comfortable with the backs they have. 
Yeah. It's that I'm comfortable with how they've they pieced together this offense for where I think you could put as long as you have competent players out there at the running back position, I think their hope is that teams are going to be so scared to play guys up at the line of scrimmage because you're going to have to account for all these speedy guys running down the field that as long as you have competent guys in the backfield, and they certainly do, then, then you'll be able to manufacture that running game that way. You know, it's interesting because you mentioned the speedy guys and, and that my take on the camp and going into camp that's interesting to me is that I, I don't know why it hit me when I saw them on the field because obviously we were there when, you know, draft night, we covered Jalen Waddle getting drafted and we, we know the speed he has and the elite skills he has as just pure speed. And I'm talking about his ability as a receiver, just the speed element he brings. But seeing Will Fuller and seeing Jalen Waddle and then you already mentioned Kasiki and Parker and the weapons they already have. You know, guys that were probably more secondary pieces that were forced in to be the ones and twos, but that now is threes and fours. I guess where I'm getting at, Clay, is that the one thing I got out of this final minicamp and the one thing that's really got me excited and focused in for camp is, man, let me tell you something. Dolphins have the potential to have a really explosive offense. They do. Finally. Tua has time, which you hope he does, and lets those speed guys burn. Their guys are going to get open all over the field. You just you have to respect the speed. Number one, Jalen Waddle might be the fastest guy in the league when it's all said and done. I mean, you, you got to respect that speed alone. Then Will Fuller, a proven guy like that. And then you throw on intermediate guys like Gasicki being able to work the middle of the field, Parker doing what he does, much better in a complementary role than in a one. If yes. you will pull a brilliant one. I think two is going to look around, survey the field, have tons of options. Down, deep, intermediate, you name it, they'll be there for him. And, and I think this goes back to what we said at the outset. I loved the idea that they were going to spend an entire practice just throwing the ball down the field, just pushing the ball down the field. Because, yeah, I, I think – and I was out there for – I think it was OTA, OTAs. Um, and it was funny because it was pretty clear that, that Jalen Waddle and, and Tua, it didn't just click again like it was at Alabama. It, it, it's going to take a little bit of time for them to catch up speed-wise. And, and so I, I remember there were a couple of plays where – you could tell Tua and Waddle were trying to get you. So, like, Tua would overthrow him one time because, you know, he remembers Waddle being super fast. And, okay, let's see if I can, you know, how far. So, I love that in a practice setting, they, they intentionally try to push the ball down the field because how else are you going to know whether you can do it or not? And so, I, I think the second that opens up, Will, the second that you put that on film, man, I don't. I think you could probably get four or five yards of carry if, if Will Fuller is getting 25 yards. Of carry. I mean, that's the type of thing that, that I think they're banking on. Yeah. 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 Well, I just, I, I feel like what they're banking on will is, is the way they've constructed this offense that it's going to make it to where the, the running back doesn't necessarily matter as much as how many guys are at the line of scrimmage defensively and how good is your offensive line at being able to create those holes? And, you know, if you, if you don't have a back like the guys I mentioned or Saquon Barkley, then you're going to have to, to, to manufacture your running game that way. And I, I think that if all comes together, they'll be able to do that really, really nicely.
you read my mind by saying the offensive line coming together. You're saying it in reference to the ground game. I'm saying it in reference in general. I think the one, you know, I, I mentioned the excitement of the speed and the playmaking ability, but I think the other area you have to look at, and I think you probably say this for every NFL team, you know, every NFL team's going into camp going, hey, we got to have our, our O-line straightened out because no matter how good your quarterback is, it makes his life much easier if they've got an O-line that protects them. No matter how good your running backs are, it makes it much easier if you've got, you know, running uh, an offensive line that opens holes. All that stuff, it, if you look at this offensive line, Right now, in a month out from training camp, your confidence level is what? It's just so hard because you don't see any of that in, in mini camp. You know, they, they're, I mean, there's, they're running around in trips. So um, I like on paper what they've done. I, and I, I like that, that they've made it a priority. Um, I like the potential that we saw last year out of some of the young players. And yet at the same time, they're not there yet. So, you know, I, I, you know, I would say you, you said your, your concern level with, with uh, Xavier Howard is a five. I would say my confidence in the offensive line is about a five at this point. And, you know, I, I know that's not the hot takey thing to say, but it really could go either way. And, and, you know, I, but, but I, yeah, I, I do like the potential there. And I think you, you would like to think, and this is something that's really important, Will, I, I feel like the young guys last year, the rookies in particular, Robert Hunt, Solomon Kinley, Austin Jackson, I, I don't think we got to see how good they could truly be without a full off season mm-hmm. as rookies. Now, going into their second year, they're gonna, they, they have this full off season finally, much like with Tua. They've got the full off season. They're going to be able to go out there and hit each other, and, and they're going to be able to, unlike they did in, in camp last year, it's going to be more normal. And, and, and one more thing, Will, I think it's really important we found out on, on Thursday that, that the Dolphins and Saints have passed the 85% threshold already. Um, and it's not official yet, but it, it sure seems like the teams that pass that threshold are going to be able to, to pretty much practice as normal and, and meet in groups as normal. And so, you know, it, it may seem like a small thing now, but – the fact that they can go out there and, and, and I think that's as important to an offensive line as it is to any position group and, and the ability to be around each other because more so than any other position group on the field, the, the ability to, this sounds so silly, but to be able to physically feel each other, like be next to each other, touch it, it's important. And, and so I think all of that stuff is going to matter and, and all the potential that we saw in 2020 I think we get a better idea for if they'll be able to to build on that this season. I think we'll really know by the end of this year what they've got with that line. Yeah, and I think that, look, and this has got to be the time, you know, and, and you referenced the young guys, and that really is what this is all about. You know, we talk so much about Tua making a jump. Well, you just named a handful of guys that are, that are going to have to make the second-year jump as well. I mean, they, they really prioritized the offensive line last year via the draft. You know, you had your rookie ups and downs, injuries, inconsistent play. I mean, it's part of being a rookie. Well, it goes the same for not just Tua. It goes to the guys protecting them. So this was something that can't be you know, understated. I mean, it, 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 Tua could be his and make that jump and learn the offense and feel comfortable. If he doesn't have time, if he's on his back, if he's running for his life, none of that will matter. So while we talk so much about Tua, and again, it's such an easy talking point, right? The quarterback, the top five pick, the national champion, the, the big name, the endorsed guy, you know, Tua's a huge name. I mean, Tua's Tua. He is the one that, so to speak, sells, you know, in, in talk shows and debate shows. That's who they're going to – nobody's going to debate the Dolphins' offensive line on a national talk show. They're going to debate Tua, and they're going to say yep. what Tua is. 
but they're going to lose sight of the fact that Tua can only be so much without a line that protects them. So that is, you know, that is the storyline as well as you enter camp. So it's kind of a combination of things. Is Xavier there? Okay, we talked about that already. How does Tua look over the course of a camp in preseason games? His first real camp with this, you know, after an off-season of real training and an off-season being together. You mentioned the threshold that they uh, reportedly have reached and now having that ability to really be in meetings and around each other. This, in many ways, is almost an extension of Tua's rookie year entering the second year where he really gets a feel. Offensive line goes in. How do those weapons adjust to him? I guess as we enter now this dead period, so to speak, Clay, we'll end the pod by saying this. I feel good about where the Dolphins are right now. Look, injuries always happen. Potential holdouts may happen. I get that there are things by training camp and in the training camp that, that could be concerns. But as we sit now, they've gotten through this offseason relatively unscathed, you know, and they've, they've, they've done things that I think they'll really prepare themselves to have players put in, in spots that have success. Another thing they've done, Clay, and I think this is the, I can't believe we haven't mentioned it yet, but it's probably the biggest thing of the offseason is they have a slide at the new facility. Well, and, and one that, that Stephen Ross christened. I mean, the fact that old billionaire can go down a slide. Damn it, those <laughs> young guys are going to do it too. And I was told it's in the training room, it's in the weight room, and it, it, you can go from one floor to the next. So if you're working out weights, you're saying, I'm going to go do that in there and do some uh, ab exercise. Let me take the slide down. That's, hey, so it's functional. It's not just for fun, it's, it puts the fun in functional. Saves time. Uh, let me get hey, that. So, you know, we're having fun with this now, but. Can, You've been here long, longer than I. Um, I covered the Dolphins a bit in Fort Myers coming over here, but you've obviously been immersed in it for a long time. Can you remember feeling as positive about the people who they have running the show now? Uh, I, off the top of my head, no, but I will say this, though. Every regime has a moment of happiness, right? I can't think of maybe Cam Cameron. There was a little, you know, but even Joe Philbin, once people got over Joe Philbin's kind of goofiness and stuff, people thought, well, maybe, you know, his offensive expertise and his background in Green Bay, and there was a feeling of kind of like, this is going to be okay. But given that Flo has now done this a couple of years, and we've actually seen it, and, and considering that the draft picks that they've gotten seem to be the right moves, like they're going in the right direction, I would say that, yes, this is the first time in a while where there's a general consensus from Dolphin fans and from media, by the way, that the Dolphins kind of have a good idea of where to take this. And now it's just to the players on the field to produce. But that, that, that Brian Flores has got the right plan. He's not afraid to change things up. We've seen it. I mean, he's had 15 coordinators, it seems like, in two years. I, I joke, but, it, I mean, it's been a lot of moves. Let's face it, the coaches and staff that he's moved around. He's not afraid to push the buttons to find ways to win. And that's what you want, a head coach, somebody who wasn't scared. Yeah, and I think that, that's, that's kind of my point because, you know, I was here um... – you know, 2016 obviously sticks out because Adam Gase comes in and it's just this, like, infusion of, of energy and, man, like, the offensive guru and, and all of that. And, and, you know, they go to the playoffs, and, uh, but it was so short-lived. And, and so then you had this – whereas with Brian – That's the name of that we don't speak of, but I'll let it slide. Yeah, right? yeah, 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 yeah. I thought, well, I thought Adam Gase was, was going to be good. I, I, I did too. I did, I did. But that was after year one. And then I, th I think you, you quickly saw that some things were, I guess, going off track um, after that. Whereas with Flores, I, I, I don't know. I feel like you're seeing a foundation laid. You're seeing a vision. And 
Well, uh, this is the other thing, and, and uh, I'm, uh, I wanted to, to hit on this before we, before we ended the pod. I found it really interesting how, how much Byron Jones was raving about Flores. Um, and, and the thing that he said, which I found really interesting, was that the vision that Flores laid out and how, how brutally honest he was, how transparent he was with players and, and just how much it, he went out of his way to praise Brian Flores. And I, this was not a question about flow. Uh, and, you know, so what, how do you feel? It wasn't like somebody asked him, so how, how would you grade Brian Flores's performance as a head coach? You know what I mean? He, he went out of his way. So the fact that you had a veteran who, who played on some really good teams with the Cowboys, won two division titles, won a playoff game, um, you know, and, and he sees this out of Brian Flores. And, and, and Byron Jones is somebody who's really thoughtful and he gave some great answers. But the fact that he went out of his way, it just made me feel like, okay, other people are kind of seeing this as well. And um, the, the last thing that I'll, I'll end this with was I remember a few years ago, it was right after I got here, somebody asked Stephen Ross at one of these media Q&As, why have you not been able to succeed as an NFL owner to the level that you did in business, to the level that you did in real estate? And Ross's answer was fantastic. He said, well, frankly, because in business, I can just throw money at the problem. You know, if there's somebody out there who I think is really, really good, I can just throw money at them and, and, and hire them at, just to outbid somebody for them. Whereas here, I, there's a salary cap. There are contracts. I can't go out there and just throw all the money in the world at Tom Brady and have I can't just go through all the money in the world at, at Bill Belichick. I, and so I, I think it's, it's not that Ross hasn't wanted to build a winner. He, and he hasn't been, it, it's not that he hasn't been willing to put the money into it, but I think you're seeing with this facility. And I think you're seeing that, that now he's, I feel like he's found the right people and, and hopefully that, that it continues to play out that way. Well, we're going to see a new look team with a lot of faces and additions and, you know, big play guys that they brought in to help Tua. We're going to see the new facility there right at Hard Rock Stadium, which is where training camp will be right there at the new facility that includes the slide. And we're going to hopefully see a lot of wins this year for the Miami Dolphins. But what we are going to see now is about a month of nothing. And then nothing. it will be a full sprint from, you know, the end of July to the Super Bowl. So let's see uh, what the Miami Dolphins can do along the way. We're going to certainly talk about it when that time comes. We appreciate you listening to the Miami Sports Pod. Listening and subscribing always. We will talk soon.